And so I felt like we can't really have a conversation about diversity unless we include that group and really start with that group. And so I wanted the church to be on the forefront of adding disability into that discussion as there, as many churches are seeking to become more diverse. And so I wanted that to be a theme, but then also to be able to celebrate and appreciate the beauty of all types of minds and bodies being full participants in the local church. Dr. Lamar Hardwick is lead pastor at Tri-Cities Church in East Point, Georgia. He writes and speaks on the topic of disability, and he is the author of the best-selling book, I Am Strong, The Life and Journey of an Autistic Pastor. His recent book is Disability and the Church, A Vision for Diversity and Inclusion, and the topic of our conversation today. I'm Kristen Verholst, your host of this episode of Public Worship and the Christian Life, a podcast by the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship. Find us at worship.calvin.edu. Pastor Lamar Hardwick, I'm so delighted to have you on the podcast today, and I'm very eager to share with our audience um, the learning from your book, Disability and the Church, A Vision for Diversity and Inclusion. Would you be willing, Lamar, to introduce yourself to our audience? And um, some people may be aware of your work, and for others, this will be brand new. Thanks for having me. I think probably the best way to describe my work is for those who have never heard of me before, most people online know me as an autism pastor. Um, there's a long story about that. I didn't actually come up with that name. Um, it was from a parent who, long story short, messaged me very early on in my ministry and said I was like the pastor for the autism community because many of them weren't able to get out and go to church. And so um, I would pastor them through before Zoom was cool. I was doing that um, and praying for them and uh, working with them. So that's where that came from. Um, but that's also because I am late diagnosed. Uh, I was diagnosed at age 36. That was 2014. Um, although I knew probably around the age of seven or eight that there were significant differences between me and my peers. I did okay academically, but there were a host of other challenges that I had uh, growing up. And so uh, that finally came to the point of me at age 36, really struggling and trying to find some help. And I ended up getting assessed and diagnosed um, on the autism spectrum. And so since 2014, I've been doing a lot of work in the area of uh, not just autism and faith in church, but disabilities as a whole, realizing that my experience was very similar to others who had trouble navigating faith communities. And so I began to um, write and blog and speak at conferences. And um, as you said, my latest book, um, which came out last year, uh, is on disability in the church and um, really talking about disability as uh, diversity 
and how we can become more inclusive of persons with disability in our faith communities. Wonderful. Yes, so important. What's the story behind the book? What prompted you to write it? Oh, good question. Um, So I had two books before that. One that was really popular was um, called I Am Strong. It was a playoff of Paul's When I Am Weak, Then I Am Strong. Mm -hmm. And I talked, it was basically like an autobiography. The subtitle was A Life and Journey of an Autistic Pastor. And I talked a lot about my life and some of my struggles growing up, even though I was not diagnosed. Um, And so that led to people wanting to get my opinion on how can we make the church more inclusive of, of people who are neurodivergent and other disabilities. And so over the years, just talking with people and speaking at conferences and putting together talks uh, and resources to share, it sort of developed into people saying, you need to write this in a book. And so uh, eventually I sat down and decided to put it all in a book, things I had been talking about for the last several years. Wonderful. And I, I think I saw on IVP's um, page that this won a Reader's Choice Award. Yes, um, it did. Yes. So congratulations on that. Thank you. What are some of the comments your readers have been sharing with you, some of the feedback you're hearing from those that have read the book? Yeah, I think the most common is that it was very accessible. Like I tried to make it to where, you know, just everyday person can read it. It's a quick read. There is a lot of theology in it, but you try to make it accessible because one of the things I noticed as I was speaking at disability ministry conferences is that I very rarely ran into pastors or decision makers at churches usually families that were impacted by disability um disabled people themselves who wanted to be more active in ministry but they felt there were barriers and so I wanted to write a book that I could get in the hands of the congregation so that they could take it to the pastors and say here's what we read and um we think this is a a good book for for you to read as we're trying to become more inclusive that's so that's probably the thing i heard the most um and then just a lot of people were just thanking me for writing it and putting into words things that they had been struggling with and didn't know how to articulate to their church what for you was one of the central kind of heart messages that you wanted to share with um, your readers what was really yeah, on your heart to make sure you got that message through. Yeah, there are a few, but I think the the overarching message was that, um, you know, in our culture, diversity, equity, and inclusion is a big thing, and it should be. Um, and, you know, the church is starting to pick up steam and understanding the, you know, the the necessity of understanding the variety of ways God created people and how to celebrate that. Um, But one of the things that I was not seeing in that conversation was the conversation of disability. Mm -hmm. And so 
sort of the overarching theme and, and why this subtitle is a, a vision for diversity and inclusion is that the, the largest minority group in the world are persons with disabilities. And so I felt like we can't really have a conversation about diversity unless we include that group and really start with that group. And so I wanted the church to be on the forefront of adding disability into that discussion as there as many churches are seeking to become more diverse. And so I wanted that to be a theme, um, but then also to be able to celebrate and appreciate the beauty of all types of minds and bodies being full participants in the local church. Yeah, that um, emphasis on full and the idea that we all have active ways to participate in worship is Mm -hmm. very central to our work here, too, at the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship. And uh, one of the terms we're working on related to this is called universal design for Mm -hmm. worship. So Mm -hmm. thinking about how do we consider everyone when we plan and lead and engage in worship together, and especially those on a spectrum of uh, disability to fully abled and but everything in between and what what that all means. Are there any particular, um, I'll say opportunities and then challenges as you think about that, thinking of a worship service where it tries to be inclusive in the area of disability awareness, what opportunities do you find, but then what challenges are also there? Mm -hmm. I would say the greatest opportunity is um, to open up space at the table of the decision makers to include persons and their families with disability. Um, I, I think the largest reason why a lot of worship services and activities at church tend to be exclusive and exclude people with disabilities is because the team or the people who are deciding what worship should look like often don't include persons with disabilities. And so um, there's going to be a natural, even though oftentimes I don't believe it's intentional, Um, But whenever you don't have those voices present, you unintentionally create barriers that you didn't mean to create. And so for me, that's the biggest opportunity. You know, one example in the church that I led um, a while back when I was uh, beginning to write the book was um, we had one of those churches that we like to have the lights down. And, you know, that's kind of a popular thing. And there's stage lighting and then there's lighting in the auditorium. Well, I started to notice that a lot of our elderly members um, were not really regularly attending. So fast forward, long story short, I found out that they like to sit in the wings of the auditorium um, because there was sort of like many auditoriums, there was sort of a, a of a decline all the way down to the front. Mm-hmm. And so because a lot of them had mobility issues, they sat in the back. Well, when it was too dark, they couldn't see. And so a lot of them were afraid of falling. And so it was a simple fix is just don't make it so dark. Even though we wanted to be cool, it was alienating entire population of people who had concerns about falling because they had mobility challenges. So that's just one uh, way that if we had asked persons who have mobility challenges, what is a barrier for worship? They would have told us that, but because they weren't a part of that team, we unintentionally created a barrier. 
and you know we we fixed it rightfully so. a great point about um, simply ask a question and mm-hmm. invite invite people to the table for the discussion right and some of these these issues will will naturally come up and and be solvable um a, a segment of of disability would include also children with mm-hmm. disabilities and i wonder if you have any thoughts about that particular very precious um in a sense, group, because they don't have that voice, right, to come to the table and share what their special needs or attentions might be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, lean on the parents. One of the things that we learned as we were developing our ministry was that parents are a huge help. Um, and so they would be able to help us to understand. And, and I think the key is for that is getting their input so that our staff and volunteers could properly interpret behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the things I know as, as someone who's on the spectrum is that uh, all behavior is communication. And so whether a child can articulate on our level what is a barrier to them or things that are distressing to them in the worst of experience, they will communicate that with their behavior. The, mm-hmm. the challenge is oftentimes for those of us who don't have close proximity to children with disabilities is we don't know how to properly interpret that behavior. So that's where parents and teachers are good uh, allies for that. And, um, but then also spending the time and trying to get a consistency with the, the volunteers that are serving in that area so that they can consistently understand what that behavior is. But um, so, so I would say children do have a voice. It, it is expressed differently. Most of the mm. time it's expressed in their behavior. And as adults in trying to craft worse of experiences that are inclusive of children with disabilities, it becomes our responsibility to try to learn how to properly interpret their behavior because they're telling us something by how they behave. So it's yeah, it's a big piece of education for for many many adults and in, in worshiping communities. What um, what would you encourage pastors to um, think about if this really has largely not been on their radar? What's uh, I mean, in addition to getting your book, how would you encourage them to begin to broach this topic? disabilities, but also I'm thinking too, especially of of children and their inclusion in the worshiping community. Where do they begin if it's just not something their church has been actively pursuing and thinking Mm. about? Good question. So I personally believe if somebody's been doing this work for a while that um, God has provided us a window in what we have seen in the last few years with uh, the pandemic. Mm. Now, granted, it, it it's been a very trying and and for some people horrific last two years. But as it relates to the church, um, I think it's a window. So the first thing I would say is that I want the pastors to notice how, when accessibility became a challenge for everyone, the church became very creative in how it tried to provide access to his programs and his worship services. So many 
churches found the money to start streaming. They found the money to do other creative things because when everybody lacked access to the building, it became a challenge. So, so what that says is that we do have the creativity and the cash. It was just we were choosing in some ways not to really see accessibility as an issue until it became an issue for everyone. So now that we're back in buildings, I want us to remember what it was like to not be able to access the worship mm-hmm. experience and 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 use that as a point of empathy to know that there were people long before the pandemic who longed to be a part of our worship experiences and also did not have the access. So now we have a sense of what that's like. Um, we also have inadvertently communicated to them that we can actually find ways to include them. And so I think it's it would be sinful for us to retreat back to our old ways. Um, but then also, I saw a study the other day, and this continues to come out, that we're not yet really understanding the long-term effects of mm-hmm. the pandemic. And there's been reports about neurological changes, breathing changes. Mm-hmm. And so while disability is about 61, 62 million people, it's one in four, that number is going to increase. And so this is not, and and by the way, that number is only between the ages of 18 and 65. So as it relates to children, there's a whole generation of children uh, that have disabilities, whether it's physical, developmental, or intellectual, that aren't even counted in that data because they're still young. Um, And so I would would say that this is an issue that's at the forefront of our culture and should be at the forefront of our church because those numbers are just going to increase and the church needs to be ready to find ways to include them, especially our children. I wonder if there are any um, cultural sensitivities, cultural barriers. When we think about a worshiping community that we need to be attentive to in this area of disability awareness and advocacy, um, could relate to a particular, you know, denomination or tradition or other kinds of cultural influences. What have you had any experience seeing this, where you you look and you're like, yeah, we've got this is a cultural barrier rather than um, somebody just not cognitively getting it. It's more because of the surroundings of their culture or their tradition. Yeah, I think a multitude of different ways that different faith communities worship, but I think in a general sense, church, particularly in the West, is highly social. So you tend to see those cultural type things impact persons who have what are considered invisible disabilities, things that you can't see. Um, I think we, we have sort of adjusted to the things that we can see, like we try to have ramps and elevators and those types of things. So we're talking like children with autism or ADHD or anxiety disorder, OCD or other uh, challenges, including mental health challenges, right? A lot of the cultural things impact that. So for example, because it's largely our culture to, regardless of our denomination, to be very social in our churches, um, sometimes that's a barrier for people like myself who have social anxiety. So one good example is I did a straw poll. I've, I've pastored two churches over the last 15 years. I did a straw poll in both as I was helping build disability ministry. And it's nothing scientific, but I found out that about 80% of the people who were coming to church late 
were coming late because they were trying to miss the part of the service where we tell people to greet and hug each other. Um, and that's a cultural thing. And it's a good thing. But there are people who have OCD, anxiety disorder, autism, um, who don't like forced touch. And um, that even includes introverts, right? And so some of the people that we were upset about always showing up late, we're actually doing that on purpose because we unintentionally created a barrier that because they had some sort of invisible disability that we didn't realize was a challenge so that's just one example of that's a cultural thing it, we don't have to do that in our services i'm not saying get rid of it but just know that that's very much a cultural thing that can become a barrier for people and there's ways to still accomplish the goal of making people feel welcome without it becoming a barrier for people who have invisible disabilities especially children like for some mm-hmm. of our kids um Things like being made to read scripture out loud um, is huge in provoking anxiety, especially if you have dyslexia or apraxia or other things that we can't see. Um, Praying out loud, reading, and those are cultural things. We tend to think those are things that are good for our spiritual development, but they can actually be barriers uh, for people who have disabilities that we can't readily see. Yeah, great point. Are you... um working on a new book or you've got a new project that you're thinking about these days? Yeah, actually, I uh, recently signed a contract for a new book. Um, It's not slated to come out until 2024, um, but I'm working on that. And that actually is taking a look at further looking at diversity and looking at the link between um race and disability but also the ways in which the church has played a role in that um so like one of the main thesis of that book is that you know as we continue in our country to wrestle with the race issue i I want us to peel back the layer and understand that it actually started as a issue of disability discrimination Mm. Um, and so i think we can really really address that issue a lot better if we understand that it was that our race issues was based on the ranking of bodies which bodies are better which bodies are more suitable um and that that necessarily didn't start as an issue of color it started with the issue of ranking people by their quote-unquote condition Mm -hmm. and um and and the, the early 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 settlers had a lot to do with that. And I think there's ways that we can sort of uncover that. And then I'll talk about ways that we can address it. So that's what I'm working on now. Sounds very, very interesting and an important uh, piece of the conversation. As we close out our time here, um, Pastor Lamar, I wonder if you could just share what, what brings you hope as you think about your work in the church, your work with um, other pastoral leaders, Uh, your community, where do you find hope for the future? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. It's a hard question because sometimes you feel like things should move faster than they do, uh, especially as it relates to being inclusive. Um, But I think I find hope in, I am seeing more and more persons with disabilities 
being given a platform to be leaders in the church. Mm -hmm. I think it is absolutely necessary to have their voice because the future of the, the church and the future of being able to be inclusive of our of our children with disabilities is going to come from having persons at the table who have real leadership uh, influence. Uh, and so I, I'm encouraged by the fact that a lot of the disability ministry conferences that I've spoken at over the last five to seven years, I'm seeing an increase in actual people with disabilities being invited to speak. And that is, that brings me hope um, that we're actually hearing from the voices that can help us shape the church for the better. That is, that is very hopeful. Thank you so much, Pastor Lamar, for talking with me today. Oh, thanks for having me.